And we're back. We're not live, but we're back on another exciting episode of Star Trek. Star Trek? No. <laughs> Starfleet Boy. <laughs> Talking about Star Trek casually and informally. And today we're uh, focused on Star Trek Discovery. We're a little bit behind, so we're recording this episode a week later uh, for uh, Light and Shadow, episode seven. And I'm so uh, uh, grateful and excited to be joined by the uh, Star Starfleet Boy Summit or uh quorum and <laughs> there's not 12 of us so i don't know about that but anyways uh uh welcome back pj fathery and sean thank you for joining hello thank you for having us exactly thank, thank you. you for having us awesome uh i've i've uh talked about this and i've tuned into some of the discussions so i'm going to try my best not to overlap but uh i think that there are some uh topics that deserve a little bit more conversation. But before we go into those uh, those questions and topics, who, would any of you guys like to give a brief summary of uh, the episode, or shall I go ahead and do it? I volunteer to give the summary for the next episode. We'll, oh, OK. We'll that. <laughs> All right, deal. All right, fine. Someone else does, uh, does this one, then I can do the next one. <clears throat> PJ and Sean, do you decline? No, go ahead, Father. Go ahead. Go ahead, everyone. Okay. Everyone well, else. He, he wants to do the next one, so I'm going to do <laughs> this one. So he's going to do uh, um, if memory serves. So uh, light and shadow summary. Uh, basically, uh, we're still uh, trying. It's post Kaminar. Uh, you know. Sorry. <laughs> now we know your secret. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So. Po Post Kaminar, we have uh, uh, Burnham uh, resolute to find, Jack, and she thinks she knows where he might be based on her uh, gut intuition. And uh, so she goes off to uh, to see if her gut is correct and heads home to Vulcan. On the discovery, uh, there's a remnant from the Red Angel episode or. Uh, incident, uh, which is like a time rift, basically, and so the discovery is examining this time rift, and uh, you know a whole bunch of stuff happens, including Ash and uh, and uh, Pike comparing the sizes of their uh, <laughs> piloting uh, prowess, <laughs> <laughs> and we go into this crazy uh, uh, situation where Pike and Tyler are stuck in the anomaly. Uh, and the Discovery crew has to try to meet Vulcan. Uh, Burnham is correct. She uh, finds Spock, and he's his mind is in a shambles. He's totally batshit crazy, and he's trying to kind of center himself unsuccessfully. So, uh, you know, originally Amanda is trying to hide him from the powers that be, but Sarek intervenes and kind of lays down the law, much like, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, in Lord of the Rings, uh, who uh, Elrond of Rivendale is like, no, I am the father. I decide what happens. So he sends Burnham with he sends Spock with Burnham to uh, Section Thirty One, and uh, uh, decides that that's the best course of action, and tells Burnham that her career will in fact be in jeopardy again, uh, which we'll talk more about uh, in the next episode. And so when she gets to the Section Thirty One ship. Uh, everything you know although it seems very section 31 in general seems very dark and scary she's kind of on board with the plan because she thinks it'll write spock's mom uh just to extract these memories and use this kind of technology to do so but then uh in an interesting turn of events captain giorgio uh sorry rather empress giorgio <laughs> uh emperor giorgio informs burnham that uh the device will actually um, cripple Spock's mind uh, even further, but section and section thirty one is just after the memories of his of the future. So they stage a fight, and Burnham and Spock escape. Uh, Burnham uh, comes to the realization a little earlier that the coordinates or the numbers that Spock has been writing is an inverse of what it actually should be. So she plugs the coordinates into the computer. Discovered that the coordinates lead to Talos Four. And that's it. The episode ends. Oh yeah, wait, sorry. They save uh, Tyler and Mike from the anomaly, and uh, no one uh, really talks about the implications of the time rift or the time tsunami on Kaminar. So I'm assuming nothing happens. But <laughs> but that's it. 
So yeah, did I do it? Did I get everything? Yeah, you hit all the broad strokes. Thank you. There was also like a a, a squid from the Matrix that showed up. But... Oh yes, ah, I forgot about the squid. Thank you. So uh, the probe that they launched to uh, examine the uh, time uh, rift uh, goes into the future and comes back from the future as a crazy, scary uh, uh, Matrix squid. It's you got, that's you got correct. tampered with by Doctor Octopus of the Spider-Man <laughs> universe. Wow. Star Trek Discovery into the spite of us. <laughs> that would, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. So uh, if you guys can uh, put your minds back a week ago uh, into into when you first saw this episode, obviously there's a lot more uh, revealed in this week's episode, um, if memory serves. But if you go back to this, what were kind of like the biggest questions, I guess, that you have uh, that we could talk about during our discussion today? Like that you still haven't answered from the discussion. Positive things <laughs> or, or bad things, or just Any, generally anything. <laughs> we can I'll go up, to the. Next. I'll open up. We can start with the nitpick corner. I'll open up with my beef with Saru, and the fact that he's just—he seems completely back to normal, and I'm just—I'm puzzled about that. They did this whole very um, emotional and important arc about how he kind of went um, nuts because he lost his his ganglia. And we've seen it previously in season one that when he loses his fear, he's just kind of insane. But in this episode, in episode seven, he seems fine, very well adjusted, completely normal. I don't know. I didn't take it that way. Um, still struggling with it, but that he was doing a good job of composing himself. I also thought that he was a lot more confident. I do notice a change um, in Saru. Especially in the next episode too, it's kind of addressed um, more directly. But um, I mean, we don't want him going batshit crazy. <laughs> I think they could have. Used, I don't think he would. It... I, I think they could have had just um, one line in there of of Captain Pike or someone saying, "Saru, are you sure you're okay? Or are you sure that uh, you know you're you're going to be able to serve? You're 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 feeling okay? You're." Because you just went through some shit. I'm not sure if you're back to your old self. Mm. Just like one little line of dialogue like that. It would have helped. Or maybe just at some point, maybe he, he freaks out just a little and someone says, are you fine? Are you okay? And he's like, yep, I'm good. I'm all right. Well, yeah. Something's yeah. more. I mean, well, does it count when he's like, what the fuck is that? When he sees the octopus probe? The no, because that's probe? a natural reaction. Isn't it? But I, I did like Saru taking command because uh, he's, always, he's always great when he's in command of the ship. When, when he tells them, we're going from a research mission to a rescue mission. He just naturally uh, feels like the captain. Sean is rolling his eyes at that, though. Yeah, okay, I do agree. He does naturally feel like the captain. He, I feel like Discovery will eventually displace him as the captain. Um, and that's that's kind of what all his story is going to be about. But I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the... Um, we have gone from research to rescue. I, I don't know. It's just, just instead of talking about that, just do it. Just say, look... Give the orders, you know, lock onto this ship, do this, do that, whatever. I, I, forgive, than... I forgive Saru his one-liners. He's trying to, like, you know, he's probably inspired by Pike. Pike gives these, like, awesome one-liners, right? So he's like, well, what can I say that'll be similar? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, Enterprise, as it was really, it came out in, like, the year 2000s, and it has these these, these specific year 2000s flaws. They have a season finale where... Right, um, arches running in slow motion in front yeah. of an explosion. It's corny as hell. Yeah, but, season three. I, yeah. I remember watching that in thinking, 2004. It's got that, it's thinking, got that cringe. Yeah, no, I, I cringed at the time, like when it happened. <laughs> okay, so every series, in in a way, has it has its flaws, like of the time, and I feel like Discovery has its own flaws of this time, and so like, I don't know. It's just like it resembles a lot of other shows in that sense. These one-liners feel um, they feel the flash to me, but whatever. The flash. <laughs> yeah, is this gonna be the uh, like the we millennial? Are the we are stuff. We are the flash. We'll look back at Discovery as the millennial Star Trek. <laughs> but it is. It is the millennial Star Trek, isn't it? Remember when they had hipster Spock with a beard? <laughs> and everything's like very artisanal, like yeah. all the. All the all the food is artisanal that comes out of the uh, replimats. Like, like, <laughs> like, like Tilly, Tilly's gonna be taking selfies of her food. 
And like <laughs> she'll go back to her quarters and, and we'll see her vision board hanging up on the wall. Okay, Tyler, Tyler says the word spoofed at one point. He says like someone's spoofed. I, yeah. I was like, dude, but in season that's one, by the way, that's next episode, just FYI. Oh, sorry. Oh my bad. <laughs> he, says, he, says, he says owned. He said owned in, in the first season, so he's very well versed in our in our current lingo. But he is from Seattle. I, I I lived in Seattle for three years and I feel like it is a it is a mecca of millennial culture and in a good way, in a positive way. I say that with love. And so I do think that Tyler uh, is representing the Pacific Northwest pretty well. Pretty accurately. <laughs> well, on the on the original series, Gary Mitchell was talking to Kirk about. Uh, re- remember when we were reading that long hair stuff or something like that? It's like long hair. No one has said that since the sixties. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, of course, naturally, a show is going to be a product of its time. Yeah. Uh, do I do it, think do that Star Trek does a pretty good job of staying staying as timeless as possible, though. Overall, overall, well, some, a good job. some Star Trek does it better than others like i think i think tng and ds9 do a pretty good job voyager sometimes feels kind of 90s ish like i remember there's one episode where um i think like tom paris says some dumb joke and then harry kim's like lame and then like, <laughs> like, like right after that jacote walks under the bridge and he's like what's up and it's just like it felt so modern he, he actually says what's up yeah, it's wow. the same episode I, where Harry Kilm says lame. I can't wait to... I would argue I'm that, so excited about my Voyager I would argue that TNG feels 80s right into the 90s. But I mean, it's got those yeah. onesies and everything. So. Yeah, yeah. the first couple seasons of TNG feel very 80s. But then like after, I would say like season three or four TNG onward and then DS9. Uh, other than like maybe a, a specific haircut here or there. And like... Oh. Uh, Lavar Le- Burton's uh, high top that he's got rocking. That one haircut uh, from that one I got, lady. I got it. Contact. I got to bounce off this topic though, and give a shout out to Discovery because uh, you know, as controversial as the redesigns, is where I think they win consistently. Is outside, you know, of whatever you think of the uniforms, is the civilian club Discovery so far has been very mm-hmm. like reasonable i think like you know there's yeah. nothing like there's nothing crazy dated or weird looking it just all seems like very fitting it, it might seem i've heard the critique that it might be a little game of thronesy medieval but like you know what this era of star trek is like the middle ages of star trek you know it's so you know, I, I hate civilian clothes on star trek like like uh tng and voyager and ds9 anytime they have someone out of uniform they they look effing stupid like, it's, I feel like they look so neuro chic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in Voyager, it's all right. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm in season four of my rewatch of Voyager, and they have civilian clothing that aren't like, they're, they're not too bad. Like when they're wearing Hawaiian uh, shirts on the holodeck, I guess that's, that's just game, corny because that's a corny well, program. Everything concerning the hologram until we get to Captain Proton sucks. I mean, like Jake Sisko, like, look at anything Jake Sisko has ever worn. It, it's terrible. Like, <laughs> like, no one will wear that in the future. I'm offended by the the the, the Marseille, the, the French bar, the French pub that they have in in um in Voyager, by the way. That offends you? Yeah, so much. As a Frenchman, as a Frenchman, you're offended. Good to say. Noted. It's not even as a Frenchman. It's just as someone that that's lived in Marseille. It's like anyway. <laughs> it looks it, like nothing it, like anything that exists in Marseille. But that's how Americans uh, think it looked, though. So <laughs> but Americans yeah. that never went there. Yeah, five week vacation. Uh, quick, uh, quick side topic there. <laughs> like, no, I'm sorry. I'm just very jealous. Uh, <laughs> um, what is like a, a like the defining regional dish of Marseille? Like Dijon has, uh, you know, like, um, like mustard, steak, mustard. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> like things like that. But what is like the defi- Are you looking it up? You don't know. I'm looking, I'm looking it up. up. Right. <laughs> you should just. I know thought, I thought you lived like, there. Yeah, it's like you know, <laughs> like, like you just search your memories. Okay, let, Do we need the Telosians to probe you? <laughs> let's be let's be real honest. Um, I don't know if there's like an actual dish, but they have like special sauces and stuff that they do their own. So like aioli, um, oshwayad, mm. that kind of stuff. But like I don't eat that because there's garlic in one of them. There's anchovies in the other. So I <laughs> I, I ain't too Marseille. Keen on, yeah, yeah, well, I'm not too keen on French. Okay. Food anyway, so uh, 
tell me. Oh my god, I'm like a lover of those things. Okay, we'll talk about that offline. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not nouveau chic. <laughs> no, no, we should all not. compare our, our regional foods. It's true that we should have a special Got Starfleet Boy food special. Like, we'll have like a like a potluck or something virtual potluck. Like the uh, the Texas national dish is chili. I thought it was barbecue. No, it's chili. Oh, nice. Have you ever had Cincinnati chili? Uh, I, I, won't, I won't eat chili that's not from Texas because it's probably <laughs> terrible. Oh my god! There you go. I love it. <laughs> What PJ PJ? What is uh, Newfoundland known for? Fish and chips, uh, and that's it. Oh, that's okay. not exciting. It's just here's anything. A, here's I, bring it. Like that, still like the, it Jig, Jigs great. dinner. Jigs dinner is the most popular Newfoundland food throughout the world. Ooh. It's just like potatoes and turnip and like lots of salt and just not good for you. Salt beef. I make salt pork. I make a pretty. Uh, uh, I make a pretty mean shepherd's pie that I'd love to. Yeah, that's very common here. Yeah. Lemon meringue uh, pie is very popular. Oh yeah, we bring it back. Oh, lemon meringue. Bring it back pie. to bring it back to Star Trek. <laughs> What's the national dish of Vulcan? <laughs> uh, Pomic soup. Duh. Duh. Excellent. <laughs> well done. Um, we get a mention of the Mutara sector. Uh, um, Burnham mentions to Pike in the opening uh, that Spock kind of diverted to there, and I was really hoping we would see the Mutara sector. But He's why do you think Spock there. goes there? I, <laughs> that's true. That's true. And and be bring the future. There. That's true. It's maybe true. that's where he. That's that's the frozen planet he goes to. I guess maybe. Oh, um, be it. Nice. I, I love I love all these references that they do, but I can't help feel like um, they're making the universe so much smaller, because every like the the corny thing with every Star Trek movie is that we're the only ship in the sector, or like we're the only ship close enough, and it does make you feel like space is friggin' huge. Um, but then I don't know. It, it would seem like spot going to the Mutara, Mutara sector or going through it just it makes it feel less far away or less but it's the prequel show so things should be kind of closer together and then like they're the not later... venturing out to yeah they're not venturing too far out of the uh immediate area which is kind of a little interesting it's like it's i mean this is something I would say that a critique of Star Trek in general and maybe all space shows is that like sometimes when it's convenient, things are really great distances away. And then sometimes they're like a hop, skip and a jump away. And like even, you know, I but I think that's like a common thing. Like even when we watch uh, shows like the expense, it's specific to Star Trek. The expense doesn't have that problem. Well, they're yeah, they're only dealing with our solar system so the far. The expense is a different yeah. problem where the main ship seems to be like where it needs to be at every, every point, and everyone seems to you know meet up with it for some reason. But um, wow. yeah, okay. no, I feel like this is, <laughs> this is a Star Trek issue. I thought the expanse was perfect. I thought you uh, like hyped that up as like the greatest show ever made. I'm sorry, I I, I retract what I said, and nothing <laughs> is is wrong with the expanse. Um, exactly where they need to be because uh, that's how you make a great show um, <laughs> but yeah they do, they do, uh, they like do the... that in Star Trek where, where things aren't where distance seems kind of weird where sometimes they'll yeah. say we're, we're the only ship in the sector and it's at Earth and it's just, like there's, there should be tons of ships at Earth you're in like the very center of, of the Federation <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true. like uh case in point uh star trek into i mean star trek uh 2009 <laughs> there's like no defense system like, there's star like trek no generations the oh yeah enterprise, generations. enterprise star trek yeah. season one the star trek the motion picture <laughs> <laughs> you know in the, the last episode of voyager when the 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 borg are coming to earth because the uh, the slipstream is gonna open up uh, like in front of Earth, and they yeah. like that whole armada forms <laughs> to like protect Earth. It's like where where have all those ships been all these years? 
They've been waiting for another Dominion attack, you know, at, at Starbase, whatever, with Cisco. Because there's so many ships in Deep Space Nine in those Dominion Wars. When I was a kid, we used to play, uh, my friend Julio and I created this huge, like, map of what we speculated at the time based on, like, the Star Trek role-playing game and information available at that time. Uh, of what the galaxy was like and we would actually like we actually like would deploy ships in a way that was sensible like it's like not hard to do like i feel like i feel like this is like something that starfleet maybe needs like julio and sohail the writer's room room needs a map on the wall i place all of their ships and at any given moment and then they write like depending on that right they might be doing that for the picard show because we did see that Kirsten Beyer was drawing up a map of the galaxy when, okay. when they started writing. That well, didn't really should, look a map of the we, galaxy, but I mean, it looked like a bunch of squiggly lines on a grid. But <laughs> we, should, we, should, we should have a, an interactive um, <laughs> Star Trek map by now on 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 Star Trek.com or something. I feel that would be cool. It's, I agree. It seems that actually, it... what would be cool is hello. Go ahead, PJ. It seems yeah, go ahead. that in this new Picard show, the Borg may be pretty prevalent in a certain part of the galaxy, and that they're not defeated yet, but and they're still like a lingering threat. Mm. And yeah, that's I I think I saw in that drawing you're talking about. I think I saw like a whole section where it's like Borg. Yeah, they she had like the Delta Quadrant labeled Borg. Yeah, like so well, they're not gone. That's, they're that's they're still scary. around. Like. They're they're gonna like attack at any moment. I think that's what the Picard Joe is gonna be about. Picard's gonna be off doing his Indiana and jo- Indiana Jones adventures or like tending to like the vi- vineyard, mm. and they're I gonna think- call him back. They're gonna call him back into service, like that guy from Rambo. He's like, you gotta come back. He's like, no, that life. I'm done with that life, man. He's like, no, you've got to. And then. <laughs> Like Riker or somebody he loves gets killed, like Worf gets killed or oh, something. Oh no, no, please, he's like, no. I've got to go back. I've got to defeat these damn Borg. I think that when they get back to the Delta Quadrant, they're going to find out that the Borg have been wiped out because Neelix and the Talaxians <laughs> have killed all the Borg. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I have a question. I have a question. To be honest, the, the map might be false because they still have Dominion written in, in the. Is is the Dominion still alive and well? Yeah, yeah. They, were, they, they weren't they completely just, wiped out. They yeah. just had like a, a treaty that they would stay out of the Alpha Quadrant. But aren't the founders, but aren't to, the founders to, doing to, their own to, shit? Anyway, sorry. The, sorry. Come on, come on, Sean. The, the You're the, come on, come on, let's get... <laughs> Odo, Odo went to the, the to the Changeling world and, and like joined the Great Lake. And he said, we're just going to stay here and learn to not be assholes. <laughs> okay, good luck Basically. with that. Basically. <laughs> And constantly have some kind of strange liquid sex. Except, all day except long. for the okay. the lady, the um, the the leader of the founders. Like she's in like a Federation prison somewhere. Like they keep her as a prisoner. Doesn't yeah. her? She dies. Anyways, um, no, that was that's she not actually the expense. Right. The topic at hand. So I have a question. So the the, the um are the the remnant of that was this like time rift. Is that something that's been happening like everywhere? Like, does everywhere that the angel visits create like uh like this big time anomaly, or was that something when, that do you think? When Admiral Cornwell investigated the uh, anomaly at the first site where the Hiawatha was, they detected all the tachyons and the time rifts and all this shit. Gotcha. And this is pretty much the same thing that Discovery is now in charge of investigating. But like, well, why are... sh- shouldn't they have some background? In- information from admiral cornwell on what this is they seem to be like uh not really knowing exactly how to deal with it it's like they have no information on it prior to this event when they should i don't think there was a time i don't think there was a time rift when cornwell investigated though i think she talks about tachyons because there's like trace like there's remnant traces of time travel the aftermath of one or something maybe yeah it was leaving it was leaving behind residual tachyons and they weren't sure if it was time travel they they thought it could be but they also thought it could be cloaking devices or transporter signatures or that's right now um, i remember you're right but they they did they did hint that it it is likely time travel Mm. i thought that the episode did 
a great job of uh, like showing time dilation and time, basically a time tornado or hurricane or whatever it was. The time my tsunami. Favorite, one of my tsunami. One of my favorite uh, scenes was actually when when um, Tilly notices the captain. Um, uh, the captain the whole scene repeating like where the captain says the the chair outranks the badge or whatever she's like what the frick uh, <laughs> um and i just love the way that was done visually i thought that was a, a high point um i think one of you guys pointed out though that like why wasn't tyler aware why was why didn't he see the echo or the time ghost yeah, we call it time me, yeah. a time go oh that was you I got the time ghost <laughs> in the other scene and i think i think I'm willing to buy that it was so like distracting and loud in that shuttle that like maybe Pike is the only one that we, noticed. That's, we, that's also, we also don't know where the microphone is that's picking up the sound of that. So maybe only if you're like super close to the to the uh, illusion of the, of the future, you would hear it. It is it is a phaser fire though, and like it, it's a pretty loud moment. <laughs> you would think that Tyler would at least. Turn around, going, what, what the hell's going on? But uh, Nick pointed out that he was very it, occupied. I don't know. It could also be the heart of what, because that that happened while they were in the not the heart of it, but they were really deep in the time rift. It could be that like you could have isolations that are great, like whereas like maybe one effect only affects Pike for a moment, and Tyler isn't even aware. Like it's happening yeah for Tyler because he's like just slightly in another time you know, mm -hmm. junction or whatever. So that could be like a, a more, I guess, scientific explanation of it because that, oh, I think Stamets later. <laughs> and the look Pike gives when he sees the thing is like, am I hallucinating? Like what the frig? It's almost right. like he's not even sure that he's seeing what he's seeing. It's not even that clear. And it's uh, it's funny how you don't see the, uh, the octopus tentacle around <laughs> Tyler's neck in the, uh, it's just vague enough, yeah, that, so you don't really very know. You don't know exactly what's going on, right? It did. It did fool me because I. But then when the scene occurred, I was like, ah, aha! I love that <laughs> idea, though, of of just the 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 writing of that, where you set up this this mystery of like what is going to happen to make Pike shoot at Tyler, and yeah. then the the fact that like he sees it, but he's not going to say anything because he can't trust this Section Thirty One Klingon. Basically, classic. That's so Raven. <laughs> or it reminds me of like you guys, you guys remember that? I don't know what that means. You don't. I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. I have never seen that. Oh my god! It was this corny Disney show where um th this chick had these visions from the future, but she would always like she would only see like half visions. She would like, this for example. She would see someone being shot at from the front or whatever, and then you'd figure out later on in the episode that. You know, it was like a fake gun or something. So her visions were always kind of false. They were always kind of wrong. Oh, that's so Raven. Where's Where's Data when you need him? Um, <laughs> because Data, as we saw in the um, the episode in TNG with the time dilations occurring, was the only one that immune to it because he he operated he was operating in a in a way that uh, prevented the effects from happening. So I kind of like that, like the time dilation was like disorienting them, and they had no idea. Uh, PJ, you had a theory about Pike and Tyler <laughs> that, that I think that I think are, are we going to talk about Tyler? Tyler <laughs> talking about shipping Tyler. I love Tyler. That's a great. <laughs> I I uh, really like the relationship in like this episode and the next one because they're like an old married couple, like Archie Bunker <laughs> and Edith. <laughs> which, which one is the racist one then? Uh, clearly, wow, it's wow, uh, Tyler. Know. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would, I would say Pike. Considering Pike is also a sexist, as established in the cage. Like it's yeah. a classic odd couple situation, right? Yeah, totally. I did like that. I, I did. Yeah, did because of you. I took note of the time when Pike says we might be stuck in here for all eternity together. And I was like, oh, so he's succumbing to like the he's succumbing to the idea that, that like he might have to like be intimate with with Tyler. Or really when they, they almost hold hands when they reach out and touch the uh, the, the dial and, and like their their fingers touch. 
<laughs> one of the critiques I had personally uh, last season for Star Trek Discovery is that I thought they could do more with the opening credit sequences, like in terms of modifying them and, you know, to kind of give us clues or whatever. And while it's still not exactly what I would like, I did like that the, um, the Time Traveler Red Angel uh, was now featured in this episode in the opening credits. And I took note of that. I'm I'm still not digging the opening credits on Discovery, but they're better than Enterprise. <laughs> I I actually think like most of it opening TV show. <laughs> I think Voyager Voyager had the best opening credits. Just the the visuals of the the ship flying by a star and yeah, uh, oh they're beautiful. Be- it's true. Music. Yeah, the yeah, scores from Space Nine and Voyager are the best. I find. Yeah, hundred really, percent. Jerry Goldsmith, Voyager, right? I think. Very cool. Um, so, uh, the forests of Vulcan. Uh, I wanted to talk that a little bit. I know that in the animated series, um, you do see like these kind of like trees and stuff like that. Um, but um, but I don't recall anything about like trees growing. Most of the scenes we've seen previously of Vulcan have been like mostly desert type scenes. But when you look at Vulcan from like space, there are huge oceans. And so it's not infeasible that the city that we see here is those oceans. And that's not like rain. And they also have beyond blue. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, father. They they also have freaking oxygen on the planet. So there's gotta be some vegetation. There's there's some plant life. Makes sense. Yeah, it makes maybe sense. maybe Vulcan is predominantly desert, but there would be tropical places. There would be, you know, cold places. I think a lot of uh, planets that that are M class planets basically operate much like Earth, and they have like perhaps like Earth to some cultures is way too cold. It's like yeah, right. Most of your it's just the weather sucks. Yeah, the the Cardassians need um need like warmer temperatures than us, from what I recall, and they need like less light. Yeah. Mm. I still like uh, Forge, which in the next episode Spock mentions the forests of the Forge as being like barren and like being just like you know uh, a desert. But I also appreciated a little cross discussion into the next episode that the trees were barren they didn't have leaves on them so it implied that this area was like bereft of um of life but it also seemed like it was too close to their house so i don't know it's a little a little weird anyways (laughs) do we ever get that sorry Uh, yeah go ahead no all all of the visuals like all of the vulcan visuals to me were outstanding i loved like the cityscape i loved just that the shuttle landing next to the house. I loved it all. Yeah, it I like the maglev, yeah, looked, the maglev tracks and stuff. Like, yeah, like I does. think like if this if this was a, a modern Star Trek movie, that it, it's what we would have gotten. It just the, the shots probably would have been like a little bit longer. They would yeah. they would have gone on a little longer. But I mean, like it was that cinematic level of quality. I was very impressed by it. And and on that note, the time riff was beautiful too. Like especially when it had these like explosions and tsunamis and just like the whole sequence. It just felt like re- for a show with such a limited production period, it just felt really well done considering everything. Um, you know, there's a the, lot of great direction in this episode. Mar- Marta Cunningham is uh, she should. I'm assuming it's a she. Yeah, uh, she, never... she she's married to James Frame. She is the real life wife. Oh, nice. Yeah, is... she she knows what she's doing in terms of visuals because, like, when you see the visuals in Vulcan, there, like, there are a lot of still shots. There, there, there's still camera movement and like floaty angles and a little bit of light flare here and there. But she she she, she uses it perfectly. Like every time you see the light flare or. The way the camera moves, it's all appropriate to what, what you're seeing. And you get the episode before that, which is like the camera's all over the place. And there's lens flares all over the place. And then, you know, episode eight, which we're going to talk about later, that has the same problem. Like there's a right. smoke machine on 24-7 <laughs> in the background. <laughs> it, so I, Jonathan Frakes and this director for, for this episode are my two favorite directors so far. Mm. She she brought out the best Sarek um, that James Frey has given uh, um, until now, I reckon. Yeah, she's like, you better do it, husband. 
Yeah. You better do a good job. Well, try I know again, that, I know try that again James, husband. I know that James Frain originally... Take 42. <laughs> Take 47. There um, we go. I, I know that James Frain originally said he wanted to like do his own take on, on Sarek and what have you. And maybe no one really... like No one wanted to say, hey, you can't do that. Just do Sarek properly. But maybe his wife was able to say that. Like, hey, look, calm down. All right, this ain't your own take. Just do, just do Sarek. Yeah, I like that whole family dynamic. Yeah, why do you do that? It was really well played out here. Who's the actress who plays Amanda? Does anyone know her name? I forget her name. It's just weird that Marty. I don't have it memorized. I've looked it up. Let me let me search. I will find her name. Well, y'all are looking that up. Just it's. Weird that Marta Cunningham would direct her to argue with her husband. Mia Kirshner. <laughs> Mia Kirshner, thank you. How old is she, by the way? Uh, 43. She's She kind of looks like... Uh, uh, shit, what's her name? Lois Lane from... Yes! Ah, God. Man of Steel. Yes. Really? What's her yes. name? God Amy damn. Adams. Amy, 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 Amy Adams. Adams. Yeah. Yes. Uh, hey, no Adams one good enough to look like Amy Adams. Wow. <laughs> we just crossed the line there for Ter- check on the yeah, no, no way. Ter- Terry Hatcher was the best looking Lois Lane in the 90s on Lois and Clark. Lo- lore experts, uh, Talk Mar, is that mentioned before ever, before no, this episode? That was that was a new thing, I believe, unless it appeared in like a book or something. It, it was it was never in any of the shows though. I think that's a word they must have or a term they must have made up for Spock because I don't think any Vulcan has had dyslexia. No, no, no Tokmar. Well, that too, but Tokmar you, was the. Well, wait, wait, um, what am I thinking? Uh, Tokmar. No, you're right. There was another word had, but like Tokmar was the uh, was what Sarek was meditating like that state oh, yeah, he was in yeah, trying yeah. to reach out. To Spock and Amanda. Yeah, that was never was mentioned clever. before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. I was, I'm thinking um, the other thing is, is just learning disabilities. Yeah. And I think we get introduced to the Kotrick arc for the first time in Star Trek 2009, too, because I don't recall it ever being mentioned before. Is that correct as well? Or, yeah. Kotrick was, was first mentioned in the original series. No, but the the Catrick arc, like this, like place, it, it seemed like very similar to what this environment was where Spock was being hidden. They don't say I, that. I felt like that was. They, they well, don't they call say it. it. No, they they don't. call it a crypt, but they talk about the Contra uh, stones. Right. And so I wondered if those, yeah, those stones are kind of slightly psychic or something, and they have the knowledge of Vulcans in them or something like in, that. In in Enterprise, we see Vulcans use stones for weird things, like to to carry the the Katra of Sirach, <laughs> and also like to to have like all the the teachings and the the book of Sirach or whatever they called it, and then. In uh, in Next Generation in Gambit, they had like that that mystical stone that the space pirates were after. That oh, I totally forgot um, about that episode. Wow, yeah, they're all and about logic, right. but they have all this spiritual shit going on. I was thinking, mystical, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but they right. are a deeply they do well. The thing is, is that I think the thing that people forget is that uh, Vulcans look at logic as the form of spirituality. They find deep. They express their spirituality through logic, which is interesting. It's a, it is a nice, interesting twist. I couldn't live there. On, on Too many Vulcans. <laughs> you can't deal. Um, can't deal with it. We're near. No, right. We're they're nearly right. out of time on our uh, on our time limit that we've set for this discussion. I think we're doing a really good job. So I want to like breeze through some of these questions that I had, but then I'd like to open it up to you guys. Um, but um, my next note was on Ethan Peck. What did you guys think? Obviously, we get more Spocky. Later on, but what did you think of like our real, really our first final, our finally our first look at Spock at the new portrayal by Ethan Peck? He's not really a character in this episode. He's a plot device. He, I would almost say he's a prop that that Sonequa Martin Green has to carry around. He's a cardboard cutout of Spock. Basically, he's and he's just mumbling incoherent stuff. Um, it's still a kind of. It's, it's not. It's not really a character until we get to I, the next episode. I do think though, if one of the notes I wrote about his performance is that like that first scene we see him and they do a close up of his lips and he's like, oh, like he kind of does this like really strained kind of voice, right? And it did remind me of Leonard Nimoy. What and, does um, it sound like? Can you can you do that again? Like, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, if I heard that, I would totally logic. Think that. 
Logic. <laughs> that sounds like even X Pain. pain. <laughs> so much pain. Cow the woman. Pain. The woman. The woman. Cry. Hurt. Burnham. Bitch. No, okay, sorry. Um, oh God. She was. She's awful. To Awful to little Spock. It hurt my feelings. Um, that's the next episode. That's the next episode. Come on. I know. On I know. Point. I know. I know. But he's he's timey wimey here. Okay. So, um, let's see what else. No mention of Cyborg. Oh, no one cares about Cyborg. No, no mention of Cyborg. But she, <laughs> I thought it there was a, a a little interesting thing when when he's like, you know, but I wouldn't have married a human if it if I didn't like respect humans. And she kind of like raises her eyebrow. And I think it would have been like, well, what about that Vulcan princess you used to be married to? <laughs> didn't work out really well, did it? What about <laughs> that Vulcan <laughs> war? Do, do, do we know if 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 Cyborg's parents were ever married? Oh, oh my god. I don't oh, think we even there's so much. Anyway. There's a prequel to Discovery. A prequel. Sarek was living in like the capital city. He fooled around with the princess, but then he had to run away or something. He was um, I loved I loved the additional dimension of um of Spock having learning differences as a child. It makes sense to me, especially because of like, you know, who knows what could happen when you um mix like you know two different two different species uh even if they're compatible sexually and and can reproduce it still begs the question of what is going to happen you know what is the child going to be like i also um like that they finally brought the alice in wonderland references yeah. to episode and kind of like made it made it and it made sense like alice in wonderland would be i think a great way to deal with illogical things and like and it's a very like you know it is an absurd the whole idea of the novels are you know it's to be absurd and so i like that a lot um but far discovery is doing a good job at, at tying in all of these loose ends or just random plot like devices that they use in season one like i didn't, yeah, I didn't understand I really, the point of all of those references I, to in the first season apart from here, like I, that, that corny shore leave episode from the original series <laughs> right that's the right, only but, thing i could but get interesting again interesting tie-ins like that it's just like nice to see these little connections and threads that come up um uh let's talk last thing i guess is um just what did you think of the burnham spock relationship like do you buy it more now like is it something do you like see how burnham fits in like because i know there were a lot of objections from both fans of the show and uh non-fans about like where you know burnham just doesn't make sense like it doesn't you know all that kind of stuff I buy it more after what happens in the next episode. Right, right. Of course. <laughs> do, do you? Uh, it sounds like you're you're wanting to wrap up. Do you want to mention anything about Section Thirty One in this episode? Yeah, yeah. Actually, so what I wrote about Section Thirty One is just that they did mention the only thing that stood out to me really uh, for that was Leland is responsible for the death of Burnham's parents. Yeah, that, that's uh, kind of a big bombshell, but I don't know if that was really necessary. I, I kind of want to see what the what the secret is when when it's fully revealed before I can uh, lay judgment down on that. I feel like he needs to be. He's being set up. He's the villain of this this season. The Red Angel is the mystery, but Leland is the villain. And by the end of the season, he'll be dead or put in prison or something. And because he's he's very shady or whatever. Are that's they gonna when, have a battle? Or that's when Georgiou will take control of Section Thirty One. It's like she'll be the leader of Section Thirty One. And they'll move on from there. That's how I, I feel they're going to wrap this up. I have a theory about Leland that he is a, like, he's like what Tyler Volk is. He's a converted Klingon. And that he was actually oh. one of the Klingons that killed uh, her parents. <laughs> he was like the leader. He, he was one of the ones that, like, murdered her dad and then raped her mom to death. And then the, ra the rape is implied. Table. They don't say that straight out. Hot damn. <laughs> that, that's a pretty Father strong... And, and, and you, know, you, know what's disturbing about the, you know what's disturbing about the Klingons? Is having that two images? Is that when you imagine something like that, it makes it all that much more worse yeah. just to think about. It's like, and oh. Burnham no. is hiding it. Burnham is hiding in the closet as a little kid listening to her mom. Oh, no. It's horrible. I don't even want to hear that story. When she told that story in episode 15, I actually wanted to throw up. 
Because I'm like, they just they just illustrated that they have two things. And then she implies rape onto her mother. No, does how does Bellana's internal organs work? Does Bellana have like how? double double things? Oh, Maybe she can a little differently. I mean, we can really no. guys we're trying to keep it within uh, no, a time frame here, and I feel like that's going deep. That's deep. Uh, the that's conversation the well. is shut down. As it probably should. <laughs> yes. As it should. We could do this on Drunk Space Night. I on think that note. <laughs> I want to end the, the main discussion first by seeing if you guys had any notes or questions that I didn't address that we want to talk about. Um, I still have problems with the fact that there's no chief engineer, no medical officer. <laughs> Reno is absent. I feel like the, like we could, this is a, they have serious uh, scientific problems. They have serious engineering problems in this, in this episode on the discovery regarding the time rift that they, they could have used like a chief medical officer. They could have used a, a chief engineer to, to help them with this, but they just don't exist. The, the shows really, I feel like the shows are, I mean, th this is another Star Trek problem, isn't it? Because like we would get episodes where you think like, well, a certain character should have been like, at least just like a quick whatever. Um, but does that mean, do you think that that means that they're not, um, do you think, I, I don't know, this might be a fact that's known. Is the season finished? being written before the whole thing is produced or are they still writing episodes as they're going along do you guys happen to know that because it kurtzman, is indicative of that kurtzman stated that this season was backwards engineered that they first came up okay. with the end and then deconstructed it deconstructed it somehow or de-evolved it to a point where they would i don't know all i know is that they backward engineered it so that they, this red angel thing is definitely going to have a resolution everything's going to be explained how good or bad that explanation is going to be is yet to be seen i but, think that i think that there's no way like i mean these episodes are getting denser and denser and i feel like there's yeah. really no way you can include all of the characters even though i do agree with you 100 that like yeah there should have been like just one scene from engineering saying like the strains on our core are full because of you know and you again we still don't know who the, you know it's like something like that yeah, there's never any interaction with the chief engineer, which is such a common thing in track, and now it's completely absent. And uh, they might they might set yeah. that up in season three, though. We might go into season oh, three yeah. with, a, mm. with a, a CMO and a and a chief engineer. Chief engineer gets killed, and then Jet Reno gets promoted. <laughs> yeah, but I, <laughs> I feel Dr. like they not. No, she's not because apparently uh, I thought she uh, was the chief medical officer, but her, her like her ranking is lower than Culver's. So it wouldn't make any sense. There is a doctor that we see in the season one episode, Magics to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, who he's in the, the shuttle bay when they bring on the Gormagander. Okay. And then like Harry Mudd shot him. But oh, God. That, <laughs> All right. That might be one of the timelines that like didn't actually <laughs> happen. So um, I think he might be the chief medical officer, but I'm pretty sure we only see him the one time. I feel like they should really have, at, like, even if they don't want to focus on these characters and they don't want to show them too much, I feel like they really should have them in like staff meetings with Pike or something. Just a bunch of people say that these are the chief, like these are the senior officers from the ship, have them interact with Pike. But then when Burnham comes in, if you want to film Burnham interacting with Pike, then he dismisses them or something. That's fine. Yeah. But it, I feel like they should be there. It doesn't bother me too much, but I, I agree. It should it should be in there at some point. But if if enough people keep bitching about it, They'll probably yeah, apparently that's what happens. So. <laughs> now, I'm fine with making Star Trek the show different for the audience, but I feel like in universe, um, the like the, the hierarchy or the way the inner workings of a ship needs to remain consistent. Yes, I, I agree. I agree with you. I just want to say All one right. thing about Ethan Peck. Even even in this episode where he's just like mumbling and stuff in the background, he's doing a pretty good job. He's got that voice too, right? Like he, yeah, there's it's not hard where... to imagine him as the character. So on the well podcast, which is the podcast that Anson Mount uh, hosts with his friends, Brad, Bre Brendan Hedgens, I think is his last name. Um, there's a really great interview with Ethan Peck and he goes, through, uh, his process and how he came to, to, uh, how he got, he got, how he got the role and then his process of becoming Spock. And it's really, fascinating to listen to so yeah he I, got I the role by good. saying that he's uh he's he's like ethan peck's my granddaddy hire me no i'm just i'm, I'm kidding he's, he's good though he's yes. good. he really is a good, good. he's great atticus Finn. Uh, what 
<laughs> yeah, Gregory Peck. That's great. Um, nice. All right, guys. Uh, ratings time. I'll go first, as is tradition, because Sean doesn't trust my ratings. You uh, say this. So... You say this, but it was the doctor that didn't trust your ratings originally. I know, but you you just get the you get the you get that to wear wear that mantle because you do look at me suspiciously when I give I my ratings. I disagree with you. your ratings. That's very different. <laughs> I give this one a nine point five. I did think of there were a few. Did. <laughs> I did think that there were a few little minor kind of plot holes and stuff like that. But uh, but I'm I'm gonna be Gary. I'm gonna be the guy who uh, gives it the high rating in this episode. So okay. go on next. <laughs> Thank you next. <laughs> uh, father. Um, I I don't know because I've been thinking about the the more recent episode a lot lately. So I'm trying to think back to my initial reaction to this one. Um, I, I liked it, but it wasn't one of my favorites of the seasons. I would probably give it either a, a seven or maybe, maybe a little lower than that. Uh, maybe a six and a half. I'll, I'll, I'll be generous and give it a, give it a seven, yeah. a solid seven. Thank you. <laughs> it helps with the average. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you and your average. <laughs> I will give this episode my highest Star Trek Discovery rating. There's only like two other so episodes far. I give this rating to. <laughs> and it's a 7.5. Oh, God. That's an achievement. If there's, an, if there's ever an episode of Discovery that's an 8, that's that's a real win. That's amazing. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at this, but my, my rating is 6.5, so I give the lowest. All right. So I can, I think it's fair to say we can average it out at a seven, just like a Starfleet Boy rough estimate here, right? So that's good. Every time we get together, well, it's, it's a seven. It would be exactly a seven between the three of us, but then you kind kind of skew it up too high with your nine point five. I don't know, but I fared it out. I got fair, right? So it's like okay. <laughs> so, like the general consensus would be a yeah. would be a seven. And yeah, I recuse yeah. myself. I'm so absurd. I can't help it. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. the fanboy in you. I can't help it. I have to say, like, um, I know I'm probably going on emotion, and it's like what Sean called it—the hype or whatever. So I, I it'll be interesting to revisit this at the end of the season and and see how I feel the season ends. But like, I'm really loving the ride. Like, I just feel like overall, and I guess it's because season one like made me so like ugh, like i was just but this is even like uh, i've said this before but i feel like this is even enhancing season one for me with these like little tie-ins to season one and that is very true this is making season one better it is making season one better and more watchable um in general gentlemen uh i think we did pretty good we tried to stay minutes and we made it so huzzah is this the shortest starfleet boy ever no, we've done thirty minutes, and we can we could do it again. I believe we could do it again. I mean, like it, it can happen. It's harder with four people, but but I think we could do it. So, time crunch typically, but today we're doing two back to back, so we have less time than we normally do. So, all right, gentlemen, we'll see you in just a few minutes, and then audience, you're gonna get a. I don't know if it's a treat or a dread, but you'll get two episodes of Starfleet Boy back to back. A double feature. A double feature. So live long and prosper, and uh, we'll see you next time.